Hello and welcome to Bootstrap, the podcast for software bootstrappers. If you are running a software company or looking to start one, then this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Steve McLeod. With me on today's show is Hannah Adcock from Contented Strategy. Welcome, Hannah. Hi, thank you for having me, Steve. It's a pleasure. Hannah is a content strategist for companies in the tech sector. Now, my first question for you, is it strategist or strategist? I say strategist. <laughs> you say strategist. I, I'm not sure it really matters. I'll, I'll try to stick with strategist for this, uh, this interview. <laughs> okay, sure. So, Hannah, tell us what you do as a content strategist. Well, as a content strategist, I mainly work with startups, often bootstrap startups and small companies. And I, I really kind of go in and help troubleshoot the content. Clients come to me that they know there's a bit of an issue with their content. They're not quite sure what, they're really not sure what to do next. So I come in and I have a look at the content. I audit the content, which we can always talk about later. Um, spot some of the problems, spot some of the quick wins. And then either the company will, will go away and hopefully implement some of the changes I've suggested suggested or sometimes I'll work with the companies to to help them with the, the content myself so I'll create content as well. Thank you. So Hannah has written a book on content strategy for solopreneurs, startups, charities and growing businesses. That's actually the name of the book and that's what I'd like to talk about today. In fact it was through this book that I first came into contact with Hannah and the first thing I did is I got her to audit the content on my company's website, the very audit Hannah just mentioned. Now, disclaimer, Hannah has been regularly helping my SaaS company, Feature Upvote, for more than a year. If you go to our website, featureupvote.com, all the content you see has either been written by Hannah or rewritten by Hannah, and in most cases, both. <laughs> yes, all, all my best work at the moment is on Feature Upvote. <laughs> so, Hannah, the book recommends, and I quote, listening to customers. In fact, I think it's more than a recommendation. It's almost like a something you're almost ordering us to do. And tell us why that's important. Yes, for me, this is something you must do. And it, it's not particularly innovative advice, but it's something that still you, you kind of wonder, well, can I maybe do this tomorrow? Or I'm not quite sure how to do this. This sounds expensive. But I think it's really important that you do listen to your customers. These, well, first of all, these are people who are giving you money and they are using your product often on a regular basis. Um, they know what problem they have and they know whether your solution is solving it for them. And if you listen to your customers, especially in detail, doing something like research interviews, you quickly get a handle on you know, whether you're actually targeting the right customers in the first place. For example, you know, if you're starting off with quite a young company, you, you've often done a wee bit of research and you've got an idea in your mind of who your ideal customer is. But then, you know, when you launch your product, people are paying you for the product, it, it kind of hits reality. Then you might start to hear from your customers that they're having issues with your product, that they need quite a lot of new features to make it work for them, or possibly the lifetime value isn't very good, that there's some kind of problem you're running into. But, you know, if you're really listening to your customers, you might know at that point that there's 
a minority of customers who you, you didn't really expect. They might be using your product in a different way, but you, you're starting to realize that these are actually your ideal customers. These are the people you really want more of. So if you've been carefully listening to your customers, you know at this point that what you need to do is pivot, for example, to, to target kind of this new group of ideal customers. And you wouldn't know to do that unless you're really closely listening to your customers. I also think it's important to listen to customers because then you can quite quickly pick up on whether you have a product or a content problem, like whether, you know, a young startup, a bootstrapped company, any company, you're always running into problems of one kind or another. And I think especially if you're a bootstrapped SaaS, there's sometimes a tendency to think this is a product problem. It can be solved if I just build a new feature. And sometimes that's not the case. For example, if you've been closely listening to your customers, your existing customer, then you know they like your product, like apart from a few minor niggles, your, your product is basically working for them. But you know, if you're having a problem converting new customers, then what you have is, is a content problem, not a product problem. And then you must not build any more features, but you know, invest your time in building better content that really communicates your product and onboards people quickly so they can reach that kind of aha moment so they really find value in your product so by listening to customers you can really decide quite quickly where you should best invest your time and money uh, great advice i don't think anybody has ever said i listened too much to my customers i should have listened less it's one of <laughs> yes. those things that i think we we all kind of know we should be doing but it's difficult sometimes to really expose yourself especially as the founder to what people might tell you about your products. But yeah, that's really good advice. Thank you. No problem. Chapter two of the book tells us, and again, this is in quotes, to get the basics sorted. What do you mean by that? To get the basics sorted. Um, this is my advice to create quite early on what I would call a core content strategy statement. And this might sound quite kind of scary to start with, but it's actually a really simple statement and it just answers three basic questions. Who am I writing this content for? What content am I writing? Um, what result do I want for our company? And this is a statement that everybody on your team should, uh, should help you create. So let me find an example. So a tech startup that provides software for, for athletes in training might craft a statement like this one. Increase signups and retention because this is a subscription model by producing detailed and technical content that will provide ambitious amateur athletes, not just any athletes, these are ambitious amateur athletes with answers to their training questions because you know the ideal customer here, they're, they're very keen amateur athletes, but they're not professionals. They don't have access on a regular basis to coaches, to experts. So this software company is going to step in. They're going to be this expert. And by crafting a statement like this, they can really stay focused when they're producing all their content to make sure you know, it fits with this statement. And it's really useful to have a, a core, very simple statement like this because it stops you diverting into producing content that that essentially will be a diversion for your company that doesn't really focus on, on what your company needs. So that's what I mean when I, I say start with the basics. The basics for me is this very simple core statement that answered these three questions. So to repeat those three questions, it was, whom am I writing for? Yep. Who is this content for? What content do I need to produce? And what is the end result for us? 
I really like the example you gave of uh, of the athletes and and really narrowing it down. It's it's I think the problem a lot of us have is we think our target audience is human beings. And <laughs> yes. first we narrow that down to to something like athletes, but you really got to get narrower and really use that to shape everything you do. Yeah, I really agree. I think you need to start in a very narrow way and then you can always expand into different markets after that. But I think you, you need to start narrow and be successful in that market and then you can move on to other markets. I think that's a much more uh, successful way to grow your company than to start with a very broad remit to create quite generalized content and ultimately yeah. really to find that content's not going to convert for you. It's easy to forget that a company like Facebook started with such a narrow focus if I recall correctly, they started off with being a social media platform for Harvard University. That was it. And you can't get much more narrower than that. And then they gradually increased it to, I think, Ivy League universities in the States. And then they increased it. And rather than saying, oh, we want to have a place where everybody shares their, their family photos, sort of started really narrow. I think that's really good advice again. Yeah, that, and that's a really good example. So in the book, you referred to something that tripped me up at first. It's something you call an MOT, an abbreviation. Now, I got the feeling it was well known to British people, but it was a mystery to me at first. What is this MOT you recommend we do? Yes, apologies for this. I didn't, I don't think I, I, I quite thought how British it was. An MOT is an annual health check for your car. It's mandatory. You have to do it. You put your car into the garage. They run all kinds of tests to decide if it's roadworthy. And if it is roadworthy, then your car passes. Great. If it's not, then you get a whole host of recommendations that have to be implemented before you can drive your car on the road again. <laughs> okay. And how do you apply that to startups and entrepreneurs and bootstrappers? Well, when I'm thinking of, of what I do, the MOT, this health check for cars really came to mind as an analogy because I, I really think with your content, you need to give it a health check on a regular basis, whether this is once a year, once every six months, once every two years, if, if you really can't do it sooner than that. And this health check, uh, the content strategy term for it is a content audit. And a content audit is when you go and have a really detailed and granular look at the content of a company to see if it's if it's working, if it's successful, you know, according to whatever remit you have at the time. And you do this in two ways. You look at qualitative data about how the content is performing. So you might look at time on page, you might look at traffic. You most definitely should look at conversions and assisted conversions if you have that data. But then you also look at qualitative information which feels a bit like judgment calls but you you try to be as uh, logical about it as you can and that's questions such as is this content accurate is this content relevant is it really good this content at, at uh, pushing people to the next step in the process or you know people arriving on this content and thinking oh I'm quite like this but then it's a dead end they don't really know what to do next so a content this snapshot is qualitative and it's quantitative, and it should give you a really good idea, a good picture in time of how your content is performing and what you need to improve and possibly also what you need to archive content that's really underperforming and, and actually harming your company. And what I really love about content audits is that you walk them out of them with a really good list of actions, of content actions that you can take next. 
Do you have an example of content that could be harming that you might want to remove as a result of this MOG audit? Oh, I'm sure everyone can think that, you know, if you've asked Google, you know, if you've put a question into Google and something comes up because it's got good SEO value, often because it's been around for years, but it's not relevant anymore. I find that incredibly frustrating. And that, especially if that's my first contact with a company, then it really puts me off that company. If I can tell that the, the information isn't accurate anymore, that's quite a straightforward example. Um, you know, especially if you're something like a, a university where accurate information matters, but of course it matters for your company as well, that sometimes you might make quite a major change. And because, you know, you, you don't have much, much time, you might think, oh, I must change my homepage. I need to change my features page. But then if you've forgotten that, you know, you wrote a support article or a blog post about that feature back in the day, a few years ago, and you don't change that. And then that's something that surfaces in a, you know, a search result. It actually provides misinformation because you've since updated that feature. Then that's also a really poor result for your company. So it's really important that, that you make sure all your content is still relevant. It's still accurate. It's still helpful. Thanks. Are there any common mistakes that you see people and bootstrappers in particular make with content? Yes, I think there are definitely two. One is the approach where particularly bootstrappers and small companies who don't uh, perhaps run by people with more technical backgrounds and they don't necessarily have a content expert on the team. They, they often know that content is important, but they, they kind of kick it down the road. They think, I'll tackle this soon. But what they really need to do is tackle it now. So I do I do see that that happening and I can completely empathize because you know if you're from a technical background, it can be hard, it can be frustrating dealing with content. But content is really important. It can be a really great way to grow your company. So you, you do need to take it seriously and invest in it. Another issue I think I see as well, and this certainly isn't just bootstrappers, is we're exposed to so much content about content, about how we can do it really well that I think it can be really tempting to just think that worked really well for someone else or this is really trendy, like chatbots are really trendy at the moment. You know, we should do this. And for me, that's quite a bad approach. For a start, it's not very strategic. You're just being very reactive and imitative of other people. And the most important thing is what works for your company. And you need to have a really good handle on what your company is, what makes you unique, who your customers are. And then you start from there and you test out what content strategies work for you. And that will get you much better results than trying to imitate other people or trying to implement something that, that's trendy at the moment. Okay, that was a little bit too close to home. I am guilty of both of those mistakes. Uh, as a tech guy myself, I I wanted with Feature Upvote to give half my time to marketing and I figured great content was my main form of marketing. But it's exactly what you said. It kept on getting pushed down the, the list of things to do. Each time it was like, next month, I'm going to do that. Next month. And it just wasn't happening. That book, what's it called? Traction by Gabriel Weinberg really recommends mm -hmm. that you've got to spend half your time on your product and half your time marketing. Yeah. I didn't like that. Like, I just wanted to spend all my time on my product. <laughs> yeah, that's completely understandable, but you really do need to, to spend time on your content. And the second one you said is about imitating other people. Oh, you, it was almost like you were describing what we used to have on, on our site. 
I was very much inspired by the way uh, Groove, the help desk software, was doing their content. And I would just look at articles they'd written and then do something exactly the same about our products. When they were comparing themselves to their competitors, I would take that as a, as a guideline for how to do it for me. And it wasn't working very well. And no surprises now that you've explained why. <laughs> so were you ever surprised by an approach or strategy that didn't work very well with content? Yes, I have been. And I think it, it gets back to this point that what works for one company doesn't work for another. I remember with one company testing paid ads which have done brilliantly for some companies, of course. But for this company, they absolutely bombed. And we, we did them really well. We brought in an expert to do them. We knew that he was doing a really good job, but the adverts just, they just didn't convert. And that, that surprised me, although retrospectively, I, I can understand why. But at the time, I certainly thought, oh, this will be a great growth channel. And it, it wasn't. <laughs> do you have any idea why it didn't work? I understand if this is not, if you can't go into detail about the client, but... Anything you could tell us is helpful. Okay, sure. Well, in in a general way, it depends if people are going to make a purchase of your product quite quickly, it falls into impulse territory, or if people are really going to be need to be at a certain quite specific place when they buy your product. And paid ads can work really well at converting people if they, they read your advert and they think, gosh, I must have that. I really want to buy it. And that means that your product, it, it needs to be useful for them immediately. Uh, whereas this other product, it was one where you needed to be at quite a specific place. And that was, for example, where something like SEO was going to work much better because then you had people coming to you saying, I'm at this place. I now need your solution. So I think that's why, why we realized that adverts weren't working so well because you know, it might have slightly helped brand awareness, but that's, you know, when you're a bootstrapper, you can't really just be be pursuing a growth channel if it if it slightly promotes your brand. You have to have something much more solid. It, it has to help you convert customers. So that that growth channel was was um, uh, rejected. Really, we tried something else. Yeah, I think brand awareness is for people who have a big investment and yeah, offer bootstrappers. So. Yeah, it's exactly. really really interesting <laughs> to hear that. Not everything works for everybody. It doesn't mean the product is a failure. You just have to be ready and willing to drop something pretty quickly if it's not working. And you have to find that balance between giving it enough time to actually find out if it's not working because you're not doing it properly or it just takes time, but not sticking at it so long that you're just wasting your time and money when you could be finding another channel that actually works for you. Yeah, exactly. And another one that can be very challenging is content marketing. I've certainly experienced problems uh, with that. Can with... I stop you for a moment and just mm -hmm. ask you to define content marketing? I think it, not everybody has a great understanding of what that means. I define content marketing as any content you're creating to try and acquire customers. So it's at the, the top of the growth funnel. Great. And content marketing for particularly for bootstrappers, for small companies, it can be really challenging because you're starting from a very small base. Often you're not that well connected, you know, compared to obviously much bigger Silicon Valley type companies. And I, I think it can be very hard to get going with content marketing sometimes. It can be quite hard to know whether what you're doing is going to be successful. You just need to give it a little bit of time or whether you're you're on the wrong track entirely. So I do find content marketing quite quite challenging to do sometimes. And especially with tech startups, smaller companies, I, 
I prefer to try and do content marketing and SEO content in tandem because I often feel that you get better results. That's leaning a little bit back to what you said about the common mistake of uh, tech bootstrappers making. Of, uh, we, we're used to, when we're coding, of being able to tell if something works immediately. Either the, the code I write gives me the right answer or it doesn't. But with content marketing, this thing that you, you write something, you don't really know whether it's connecting it just needs time or if it's not connecting at all it's really frustrating yeah it can be quite hard and I do think you're not really going to see returns within six months and that can feel like a long period of time but from my experience even if you're doing things brilliantly you really do just need a bit of time to see what what is working for you so that's another one of those eternal guidelines for bootstrappers you've got to have patience I think you do when it comes to SEO content and content marketing. But I think after the six months period, if you're still seeing extremely poor returns for your, your content marketing and your SEO content, then you really need to, to change tactic. You need to uh, look into what you're doing and, and change it. So for any of our listeners who are impulsive people and who are inspired to do something to improve their content, as soon as they finish listening to this episode, What's something they could do right now to improve their content for a quick win? <laughs> a content audit will give you a list of quick wins. And I appreciate this probably isn't the answer you're looking for, but I would say do a content audit. It can be a really bare bones content audit. And I wrote a blog post fairly recently, uh, which outlines how you can do a quick content audit. And then once you've done that, you, you will have a list of quick wins, which you can implement and which you really should see good results for. I'll find that blog post and I'll make sure it's linked in the show notes. Thank you. Yeah, that's probably not the answer that people were hoping. They were probably hoping you could say, just do this one quick thing and double your revenue, but it's never like that. No, it isn't. And I, I've been asked this question before and I thought long and hard about whether if there is a quick win that I can suggest. And I thought, well, the core content strategy statement, that's very useful, but it's not quite what I call a quick win. It's just something fundamental that should, should underline what you're doing. And, and really, I just thought in the end, you, you just need to do a content audit. I think that's the single most useful thing you can do. And then from that, you, you will get the quick wins. So listeners, if you're an impulsive person, once the episode's over, Find somebody to audit your, your content. Even do it yourself if you have to, but that's it. That's your quick win, uh, the slow quick win. Yes. So I want to talk about help docs or user guides. Uh, one of the first things you did to feature up for to improve our content was to redo our user guide. And this was a surprise to me at the time. In hindsight, it's not because I now realize that help docs are a really big chunk of the content of most web apps. Any tips on how bootstrappers can do their help docs better? Probably my top tip for improving your help docs would be to draw up a template of your ideal help doc. And this might be referring to another company where you've read a help doc and thought, gosh, that was genuinely really helpful. I, I'd, I'd really like ours to be similar. So you draw up a template and you list what kind of content you'd like in in the help doc. So you have perhaps your title, then you'll have some use cases that this, this help document is going to assist with. Perhaps you'll have a video walkthrough, perhaps you won't. Then you'll have, you know, one, two, three, a number of steps explaining what to do with screenshots. 
then you'll have a quick conclusion, maybe not. And then you might have related content, for example. So some kind of template. And then I try and implement that template uh, so that all your help docs that way, they'll be consistent. Because I do find, again, with startups, young companies, there's offer often an underinvestment in help docs. And they can be quite inconsistent in the style in which they're written, but also in the approach. So you never quite know what you're going to get in that help doc. And I find that can be quite confusing for a customer and quite unhelpful, really. So I think you, you need to get make sure that your help docs are consistent. And you can do this with templates. So that's probably the, the easiest way to try and improve them quickly. After Hannah uh, applied that method to our own help docs, I received an unsolicited comment by a German customer who really complimented the changes we did. And, you know, I didn't actually think you could get compliments on help docs. Uh, some other changes, uh, improvements I've noticed too, is that our, even though our customer base keeps increasing in size, our support tickets have actually reduced. Well, I guess they've stayed about the same, but in terms of support tickets to our customers, it's really gone down. And I think a lot of that has to do with the quality of the help docs. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of, of uh, trying to encourage your customers to, uh, to self-help because then, of course, it, it decreases your, your customer support costs. And particularly if you're the person doing customer support, then it's definitely in your, your interest yeah. to <laughs> improve your, your help docs so you have fewer questions. And also, I, I like to take a note if you do get questions in which are to do with content gaps on your website that you think, gosh, that that question should have been answered on our website and isn't, then that's a brilliant opportunity to, to update the rest of your content as well. And then you can prevent another customer having that question in the future. And also help documents, they can have long tail SEO value. So it's always worth bearing that in mind as well. I think you can find you get so much SEO traffic or Google traffic to a, a help doc, you then realize that it should be even more than a help doc and could actually become an article on your main website or a blog post. Yeah, definitely. You can be quite surprised by the amount of traffic you have to your help docs from people who aren't customers at the moment. And it can be quite satisfying to see that people will convert from the help docs, you know, people who have a quite specific questions about how to use your product. Then if your content's good, done a good job, then it's, it's posted people to, to your help docs. And if your help docs have done a, a good job, then you can convert people. So that's really quite a satisfactory situation. Yeah, I think it can also help with onboarding. Bootstrappers never have the time to get their onboarding perfected. And uh, the, the right help docs can be a poor person's uh, onboarding tool so that uh, people can work out how to use your product while they've still got that uh, initial enthusiasm to get started. Yeah, certainly they, they should help people discover how to use your product. They should be really clear and easy to understand. So the book is, I've lost my notes where I had the name, uh, yeah, Content Strategy for Solopreneurs, Startups, Charities, and Growing Businesses. It's quite a marathon title. And I was just thinking to myself this morning that getting a book written and finished must be like training for a marathon. I've tried a couple of times to write a book, not to run a marathon, and I never got very far. How did you actually motivate yourself to get it done? I actually wrote the book when I was on maternity leave with both my children. So it was a project over about three years. And looking back, I'm, I'm not quite sure how I found the motivation. But I think sometimes when 
you're on maternity leave, you're just desperate to do something that isn't to do with the children, even if it's only for, for an hour or so. So although I didn't have much time, I think I was very motivated kind of during that time to, to write. So that, that's how the project got finished. <laughs> Oh, as the father of a of a baby right now, I'm I'm just impressed that you managed to find the time at all. I mean, it sounds even harder that you did it during uh, being on maternity leave. Yeah, it wasn't easy, but I I enjoyed it. I don't believe when you're on maternity leave or paternity leave, you you should pressure yourself to do things. But on the other hand, there are things that you enjoy doing, and I certainly enjoyed doing this. So, Hannah, it's time to wrap up the episode. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, I'd love to have you back sometime. Where can people find you if they'd like to know more about your book and your services? You can have a look at my website, which is contentedstrategy.com. I'll make sure that's in the show notes. Listeners, if you'd like to discuss more about content strategy, please go to our forum at bootstrapped.fm. There you'll find plenty of people with all types of expertise in running bootstrapped companies. So thanks again, Hannah, and have a nice day. Thank you. That concludes this episode of Bootstrapped. You can discuss this episode and other bootstrapping topics on our forums at discuss.bootstrapped.fm. Until next episode, goodbye.